marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Then love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your one. Skip to the end. Have you the wind? Under you, Princess Bahwa. Man and wife, say man and wife. Man and wife. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the presence of God and these witnesses to join together to listen to what God would say to us in his word. His passage for us today is in 1 Corinthians 13. Hear now the word of God. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's get real. If I were the groom standing beside my bride as I heard a minister read these words and I understood them to be the checklist for how I could love my wife, I would look at that beautiful language and the sentiment that is through them and I would say to my wife, this is how I want to love you. This is so beautiful. I'm committed to, to love you just like this. And she, maybe with starry eyes, would say, that's great. But you know what? It wouldn't take long for her to discover that there was no possible way for me to 
fulfill the promise that I made and to do all that is in this passage. And you know, it still goes on. <laughs> a few months back, my wife, Carol, and I had a little spat. She is a very energetic woman and always is looking to improve things, to arrange things better around the house. And every once in a while, her eye comes to me and she makes some gentle, kind suggestions that and that ways that I can improve. And I take those in and some of them just roll off my back and then another one comes and it rolls off my back and I think it's gone, but somehow they stick to my ribs and then they get all pinching and prickly and eventually I have to say, you know, just in a little bit of excited tone that I am not pleased with all these things that she's putting on me. <laughs> and um, that's what gets it started. And she says, well, of course, these are important things. I'm just trying to help you out. This is the way I love you. And we go back and forth. And during that somewhat intense exchange, I might have told her that one day she did she gave those suggestions to me six times and as i was counting them on that day i knew that this is exactly what this passage said not to do that love doesn't do that but i still did that and i still went ahead and told her those things you see ha, i was just that irritated so how does the love chapter speak into situations like this how can these exquisitely beautiful words lead us into a life of love? So our sermon in a sentence today is this. Before anyone can live a life of love, they must be confronted by love, embraced by love, and welcome love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you communicate to us so beautifully so powerfully, so winsomely in this passage. This has caught the attention of the whole world, these beautiful expressions of what love can be. And so I pray that together we might learn from it, we might grow through it, we might lay a hold of the love that you promise here and share it with other people. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, as I get started, let's look at the situation as it was in Corinth in those days, in the Corinthian church. They were a mess, kind of like Green Tree is right now. There was bitter division in the Corinthian church between those who followed Paul and those who followed Apollos. Worse than that, there was a hierarchy uh, in the church based on spiritual gifting. Paul addresses this controversy in chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, and the love chapter lands smack in the middle of it. Paul begins his teaching on gifts and how they are to be used in the church, and he says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But, you know, that's not how the Corinthians saw it. 
Paul uses an illustration based on the human body to point that out. He addresses them based on the two extremes in the church, those who feel less than spiritually and those who feel more than spiritually. So let's look at what he says to those who feel less than. He, he deals with them first. He says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Their inferiority was drilled into them again and again. They felt so low that they didn't even feel a part of the body, the church. Paul, with these words, is helping them to see that that is not true. So now for the folks who are taking the more than approach. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And then, as Paul begins chapter 13, he takes his gloves off. He's no longer speaking in figurative language. He is going for the solar plexus. He is trying to knock the wind out of them so that they can see how their views are hurting each other and how their views are hurting the image of Christ. And so... <clears throat> He starts out, after all this back and forth about who's the greatest and who's not, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. These words are so sharp, they cut to the very heart of the people in Corinth. Paul was saying to them, if you can speak in tongues, but don't speak with love, you don't even have love for those to whom you speak. You're a noisemaker, just a noisemaker. If you have prophetic powers and can plumb the depths of spiritual mysteries and theology, but don't have love, you're just full of yourself. You're nothing. Can you imagine hearing that? All that you have staked your sense of self on has been pulled out from underneath you. Then he takes it even deeper. If you have no outstanding spiritual gifts and you give everything away, but do it for show and not for love, you gain nothing, nothing at all. Even if you lose your life because you stood up for your faith, but don't have love, that doesn't get you anything either. Paul leaves an implication that is not specifically stated. If you don't have love, you don't have God. Let me say it again. If you don't have love, you don't have 
God because God is love. The, the scriptures say that over and over again. That revelation had to be devastating for the, the folks at Corinth. Perhaps it does also for some of you. Not so romantic anymore, is it? Don't despair. Paul is not leaving us hanging. The real confrontation is still to come. The confrontation of what love truly is. But before we move on to that point, I want to talk to you about how I did not act in love this week. When I saw the video of the shooting of Jacob Blake, I was outraged and incensed. I just couldn't understand how these policemen, after seeing all of the deaths of African-American people across our country couldn't have found another way to, to help that man get into custody without doing harm to him. I was outraged. But when I saw this video of Doc Rivers, <clears throat> the coach of the LA Clippers, talking about his reaction to the shooting, it moved me deeply. All you do is keep hearing my fear. It's, it's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color you know, it's just really sad. We've got to do better. As I watched Coach Rivers, I heard him say, we keep loving our country, but our country does not love us back. In his pain and his fear, I knew he was speaking for all people of color. I knew my African friends were feeling much of the same things, and yet I failed them. I did not reach out to them. I did not console with them. I did not grieve with them. I did not tell them that I love them and support them. I did not love them. That's why I need to hear these words that God says next. I needed to be confronted by what love truly is. Paul writes again, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing. It does, not rejo it does rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Look at this love. Look at its beauty and its depth. Isn't this the way all of us want to be loved? And yet none of us can do it? Paul knows that too. He says, I want to show you this love. I want you to meet this love. I want you to be confronted by this love. Only then will you be able to become loving. Now, as I said earlier, this list is not a behavioral checklist. 
This is not simply a class lesson. Now, class, you may you can just try harder. You just have to try harder. We, we can make the world a better place. We can do it. We can love. We can make this a better place. <laughs> the Bible is not so sentimental or unrealistic. You say, if that's not possible, then why do we have such an irrational desire for unconditional love? It's because it's not irrational. It's exactly God's plan for us. It's a memory trace of things that our creator has placed in our hearts. The one who can fulfill that love desire of unconditional regard is the one who put it there. And he is our creator who has become our redeemer. So, if this is here, and it is not a checklist, what is it? It's a description of love. It's what true love is like. But it's more than just a description. Love is personified here. Love is, love does, love offers, Love gives. That's, do you think, maybe more than just a literary device? Do you think that this is describing a real person? It's true. That's actually God that is being described there, showing up in the middle of the chaos in Corinth. Here is God saying, I love you. As God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul in this letter to the people of Corinth, he was saying, I am here. I know who you are. I am love. I am patient and kind. I know your pride. I know how you have injured each other spiritually. I am here. I am not irritated, nor do I resent your trampling on the grace I offer you. I love you. I will not fail you. Do you think God may perhaps be speaking to us here at Green Tree Community Church in the middle of the difficulties that we have experienced over the last few months? Do you think he would stop being himself, the eternal one who does not change? Would he not have noticed the problems we have here? Our pride, our self-absorption, how we wound each other. Would he not be to us what he is, who he is, that is love? Would he not forgive and restore? Of course he would. God wants you to, to experience the embrace of the man of love. Are you beginning to sense God's embrace as you consider his love? Let's take a look closer at that embrace. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. First, he says, love bears all things. 
in Isaiah 53, verse 4, he talks about the one who bears those things, and he says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He believes all things, hopes all things. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's two things that are going on. He believes, Jesus believed all things. He believed the promise of God because he was a part of the Trinity that decided to go ahead and do this for the people of earth. And then it says, so he's believing that we would be holy and blameless, that he would do a work that would make it so. And then he also believes and hopes for our adoption to himself as sons through Jesus. He wants us to be a part of his family. So he believes in our redemption and he hopes for us as we join his family. And then last thing I'm going to talk about here in this phrase is he endures all things. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Jesus is going to do. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So these things are really specifically describing Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, the one who came to this earth, Jesus, the one who walked in our shoes. Jesus, the one who faced temptation just like we do, but without sin. Jesus, the one who died for us so that we can be saved. That's who this is talking about. So as we are embraced by the man of love, we have an opportunity to welcome love. God's love into our lives. It says <clears throat> again in verse 6, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. How can we embrace and welcome love? It begins by aligning our joy with Jesus' joy. Wrongdoing does not give him joy, and it's destructive for us. We start by turning our eyes to see Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. Turning our eyes, our thoughts, our hearts so that he begins to rejoice in us and we rejoice in him. The message that is truth itself, it is a life-giving power. Paul said in Romans uh, 1, 16 this for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes for the love of us Jesus lost the love of his father 
because we could not love, because we could not give other people what we owe, because we could not give the Father what we owe, for the love of us, Jesus paid the penalty for our debts so that the Father could love us. He paid with his life. He died on the cross for us. That is the gospel. When we rejoice in the truth, as love does, we sing along with it. The Greek here, word here says that we sing along with it. It's the rejoicing, but it's a singing. It's taking in the melody. It doesn't mean just believe it. Some of you may have been hearing this all of your life and just believing it, but you've not sung the song that it sings to us. The beauty of the truth, the freedom that Jesus brought you can cause such a delight in us that we begin to sing its refrains, its love, its freedom from darkness of our brokenness. When we delight in the truth of the gospel, that begins our transformation. It's the thing that begins to deal with the lack of love in our lives. It's the thing that fills us with God's love and acceptance and enables us to share it with others. What does it mean to rejoice with the truth? It means to discover that the gospel is already singing. It's always singing. You just have to get out the music and sing along. And the music is written all throughout Scripture. There's one passage that particularly lights my heart up as I read it and pray through it and causes me to rejoice. And it comes from Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. It says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though we, she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. So think about that. Think about a mother nursing her baby and the closeness of that connection, of the love that shines on that mother's face and the joy on the, the baby's face as they take nourishment. Would a mother lose compassion for the child she has born? Yes, sadly, we know that that happens. We see it in the news too much, unfortunately. But God says, though she may forget, as unthinkable as that is, as unnatural as that is, he says, I will not forget you. And then he says, see, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. I still bear the scars of the nails that went through my hands in order to bring you to myself, in order to show my love to you, in order to welcome you into my family. I have written you on the palms of my hands. Each one of you is written there. And this this singing with the truth and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, when we delight in it, it starts to transform us. It starts to move our hearts. It starts to fill us up so that we have uh, 
the love and grace to give to people that they need and not always be on the taking side. My dad uh, was a neurosurgeon, very um, strong man. And um, he, even though he grew up in China with medical missionary parents, he didn't come to faith until he was 42. And he was a very demanding man. And he ran his operating room with an iron fist and often with a loud voice. He had an adventurous life. He was born and raised, as I mentioned, in China, spoke Mandarin before he spoke English, and traveled around the world by the time he was 19. And that was back in the days when that was mostly by slow boat and train, maybe an occasional airplane, but unusually so. So he had been around. He had started a Department of Neurosurgery in Dhaka in Bangladesh. He was the national consultant to neurosurgery for the Air Force. He was a remarkable man and had a very adventuresome life. And one day as we were in church, my wife Carol was just looking at how he cared for my mother. She had dementia and, uh, and for the last 10 years of her life and be she became less and less able to do for herself. So my father did for her. He dressed her, he washed her, he took her places everywhere he went. He made sure that they had the very same place in the pew at church. And <laughs> I love that as she got more weak, he would just kind of let her slide into him and, she, and he would prop her up just by sitting there. And Carol noticed that and, he, and she said, Dad, you've had a very adventure, adventurous life. What's your greatest adventure? And my dad reached out and patted my mother's arms and he said, this is my greatest adventure. You see, the song of the gospel had been singing in his heart and it turned him from a controlling man who got things done and saved people's lives and did miraculous things medically to a man who could do for his wife in her hour and days and years of need. Let's pray. Father, may we hear the song of the gospel, the song of your love, the song of your grace, the song of Jesus Christ. May we rejoice in the goodness of who you are. May we be filled by the love that you have poured out upon us and in us. And from that pouring of love, from that drink of the water of life, will you grant us eyes to see those around us who need your touch, who need your life, who need your hope, and come alongside and gently care, gently speak, gently love those who are waiting to sense that grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.